Hi, this is Mrs. Young, and welcome to First Chapter Friday. Uh, today's book is called A Far, Far From the Tree by Robin Benway. And this one is a really interesting perspective because it's really told from three points of view. Grace, Maya, and Joaquin, they're all brothers and sisters, but they don't know that they each one lives because they were given up for adoption when they were babies. Um, but Grace becomes pregnant and is going to give up her own child for adoption. And it makes her start thinking about you know, her biological family and, and who's involved. And so she seeks out and starts to find her biological family and she finds Maya and Joaquin. So this is their story. And again, it's called Far From the Tree by Robin Benway. And it is one of our Rosie books. The first chapter, again, I told you it's from different perspectives, but the first chapter is called Grace. So it's from her perspective. Grace hadn't really thought too much about homecoming. She knew that she'd go, though. She figured that she and her best friend Janie would get dressed together, get their hair done together. She knew that her mom would try to be cool about it and not get excited, but she'd make Grace's dad charge the fancy, expensive camera, not the iPhone. And then Grace would take pictures with Max, her boyfriend of just over a year. He'd look great in his tux, rented, of course, because what would Max do with a tux hanging in his closet? And she didn't know if they'd slow dance or just talk to people or what. The thing was that she didn't make any assumptions. She thought it would happen and it'd be great. Grace thought like that about everything in her life. Homecoming was something that she knew she'd do. She didn't question it, which is why it was so surprising that she ended up spending homecoming night, not in a fancy dress, not sipping out of Max's flask and dancing with Janie and taking cheesy photos of each other, but in the maternity ward of St. Catherine's Hospital, her feet in stirrups instead of heels, giving birth to her daughter. It took Grace a while to figure out that she was pregnant. She used to watch those reality shows on cable TV and yell at the screen, how did you not know you're pregnant? As actors recreated the most unbelievable scenarios. Karma, Grace thought later, really bitter on the ass on that one. But her period had always been erratic, so that was no help. And she had morning sickness the same time as the flu was going around school, so that was strike number two. It wasn't until her favorite jeans were tighter during week 12, which she didn't realize was week 12 at the time, that she started to suspect something was off. And it wasn't until week 13, see earlier comment about week 12, that she made her boyfriend Max drive them 20 minutes away to a store where they wouldn't see anyone they knew so they could buy two pregnancy tests. It turned out the pregnancy tests were expensive. So expensive, in fact, that Max had to check his bank balance on his phone while they stood in line just to make sure that he had enough in his account. By the time Grace realized what had happened, she was in the fifth day of her second trimester. The baby was the size of a peach. Grace looked it up on Google. After that day, Grace knew that she wasn't going to keep peach. She knew that she couldn't. She worked part-time after school at a clothing boutique that catered primarily to women 40 years older than her who called her dear. She wasn't exactly earning baby-raising money. And it wasn't even that babies cried or smelled or spit up or anything like that. That didn't seem terrible. It was that they needed you. Peach would need Grace in ways that she couldn't give to her, and at night she would sit in her room holding her now-rounded stomach and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a prayer and a penance because Grace was the first person who Peach would ever need, and Grace felt like she was already letting Peach down. The adoption lawyer sent over a huge folder of prospective families, each of them more eager-looking than the next. Grace's mom and she looked at them together like they were shopping in a catalog. No one was good enough for Peach. Not the prospective dad who resembled a hamster or the mom whose haircut hadn't been updated since 1992. 
Grace nixed one family because their toddler looked like a biter and another because they hadn't ever traveled east of Colorado. Never mind that she hadn't even traveled past Colorado, but Peach deserved better. She deserved more. She deserved mountain climbers, international voyagers, people who searched the world for the best things because that's what Peach was. Grace wanted intrepid explorers who mined for gold because they were about to strike it rich. Catalina was originally from Spain and she was fluent in both Spanish and French. She worked for an online marketing firm, but also ran a food blog and wanted to publish a cookbook someday. Daniel was a website designer who worked from home. He would be the stay-at-home parent during the first three months, which Grace thought was pretty badass. They had a Labrador retriever named Dolly who looked both affectionate and stupid. Grace chose them. She never felt ashamed, not with Peach inside her. They were like a little team. They walked, slept, and ate together, and everything that Grace did affected Peach. They watched a lot of TV on her laptop, and Grace told her about the shows and about Catalina and Daniel and how she would have a great home with them. Peach was the only person Grace really talked to. All her other friends had fallen away. Grace could see it in their eyes, their uncertainty about what to say about a rapidly expanding stomach, their relief that it was she and not they who had gotten pregnant. Her cross-country teammates had tried to keep her updated at first, talking about meets and gossiping about other teams, but Grace couldn't handle the way her jealousy pushed against her skin until it felt she would explode. Even nodding silently became difficult after a while, and when she stopped responding, they stopped talking. Sometimes, when she was almost asleep, when Peach pushed up into her ribcage like it was a safe little space for her, Grace could feel her mom standing in the doorway to her room, watching her. She pretended not to know she was there, and after a while, her mom would leave. Her dad, though, he could barely look at Grace. She knew she had disappointed him, that even though he still loved her, Grace was a different person now, and she would never be the same Grace again. He must have felt like they swapped out his daughter for the new model, now with baby inside, a Grace 2.0. Grace knew this because she felt the same way. Grace was 40 weeks and three days when homecoming rolled around. Janie had kept asking her to go, saying they could go in a group with friends or something, which is probably both the dumbest and sweetest thing she'd ever said to Grace. Her words were always tinged with apology, like she knew she was saying the wrong thing, but didn't know how to stop herself. It'll be fun, she texted Grace, but Grace didn't respond. When school had started up that year, Grace hadn't gone back with everyone else. She was too pregnant, too round, too exhausted. Also, there was the risk of her going into labor one day during AP Chem and traumatizing everyone in the junior class. She wasn't exactly disappointed by this decision. By the time summer vacation had rolled around, she had grown tired of feeling like a sideshow freak, people giving her so much room in the hallways that she couldn't remember the last time anyone had touched her, even accidentally. Peach was born at 9.03 p.m. on homecoming night, right when Max was being crowned homecoming king because, Grace thought bitterly, boys who get girls pregnant are heroes and girls who get pregnant are sluts. Leave it to Peach to steal Max's thunder, though. The first thing Grace's daughter ever did, and it was genius. She was so proud. It was like Peach knew she was the heir to the throne and had arrived to claim her tiara. Peach came out of her like fire, like she had been set aflame. There was Pitocin and white-hot pain that seared Grace's spine and ribs and hips into rubble. Her mother held her hand and wiped her hair back from her sweaty forehead and didn't mind that Grace kept calling her mommy like she had when she was four years old. Peach twisted and shoved her way through her like she knew that Grace was just a vessel for her and that her real parents, Daniel and Catalina, were waiting outside, ready to take Peach home to her real life. Peach had places to be, people to see, and she was done with Grace. 
Sometimes when it was late at night and Grace let herself drift to that dark place in her brain, she thought that she would have been okay if only she hadn't held Peach, if she hadn't felt her skin and smelled the top of her head and seen that she had Max's nose and Grace's dark hair. But the nurse had asked Grace if she wanted to, and she ignored her mother's worried eyes, her lip caught between her teeth. She reached out and took Peach from the nurse, and she didn't know how else to explain except to say that Peach fit. She fit into Grace's arms like she had fit beneath her ribcage, nestled there soft and safe. And even though Grace's body felt like soot and ashes, her head felt like it had been washed clean for the first time in 10 months. Peach was perfect. Grace was not. And Peach deserved perfect. Catalina and Daniel didn't call her Peach, of course. No one knew about that nickname except for Grace and Peach. They called her Amelia Marie instead, Millie for short. They'd always said that it could be an open adoption. They wanted it to be that way, Catalina especially. Privately, Grace thought Catalina felt a little guilty that Peach was becoming her baby. We can set up visitation, Catalina said one day when they met in the adoption counselor's office, or send you photos, whatever makes you comfortable, Grace. But after Peach, Millie, was born, Grace didn't trust herself. She couldn't imagine seeing her again and not taking her back. Right after she was born, Grace was flying in the sort of adrenaline that she imagined only Olympic athletes could experience, and she was half ready to jump up, tuck Peach under her arm, and run like a linebacker toward the end zone. She probably could have run a marathon with her, and what scared her was that she knew she wouldn't have brought Peach back. Grace didn't remember giving Peach, Millie, over to Daniel and Catalina. One moment her daughter was in her arms, and the next she was gone, riding away with strangers, someone else's daughter, and lost to Grace forever. Her body remembered, though. It had ushered Peach into the world, and it mourned her when Grace got home from the hospital. She locked her bedroom door and writhed in agony. One of Peach's receiving blankets clutched in her fist as she choked into it, sobs pressing down on her chest, her heart crushing her from the inside. She didn't want her mother anymore. This wasn't a pain that she or the doctors could take away. Grace's body twisted on, a be on the bed in a way that it hadn't during her labor, like it was confused about where Peach had gone and her toes curled and her hands flexed. Grace had delivered Peach, but now it felt like she had truly left her. She was untethered, floating away. Grace stayed in her bedroom for a while. She lost track after 10 days. After two weeks of staying in the dark, she went downstairs and interrupted her parents' breakfast. They both stared at her like they had never seen her before, and in a way, they hadn't. Grace 3.0, now with no baby, was here to stay. And then she said the words that her parents had dreaded hearing for the past 16 years, ever since the day Grace had been born. Not, I'm pregnant, or my water broke, or there was an accident. Grace went downstairs, her stomach empty, her hair wild, and she said to her parents, I want to find my birth mother. Grace had always known that she was adopted. Her parents had never made a secret of it. They didn't really talk about it either. It just was. At the breakfast table, Grace now watched her mom reflexively screwing and unscrewing the lid on the peanut butter jar. After the third time, her dad reached over and took it from her. We should set up a family meeting, he said, as her mom's hands moved to her paper napkin. The last time they had had a family meeting, Grace had told them that she was pregnant. At the rate they were going, her parents would probably never have a family meeting again. Okay, Grace said, today. Tomorrow. Her mom had finally found a voice. I have a meeting today and we should, she glanced at her dad, we should get some paperwork for you. It's in the safe. There had always been an implied agreement between Grace and her parents. They would tell her everything they knew about her biological family, but only if she asked. 
She had been curious a few times, like when they had studied DNA in freshman year biology, or that time in second grade when she found out Alex Peterson had two moms, and Grace wondered if maybe she could have two moms too. But it was different now. Grace knew that somewhere in the world was a woman who had maybe hurt and maybe was still hurting like Grace was hurting now. Meeting her wouldn't bring Peach back to Grace or fill the cracks that were threatening to shatter her into pieces, but it would be something. Grace needed to be tethered to someone again. Her parents knew very little about her mother. Grace wasn't entirely surprised. It had been a private adoption through lawyers and courts. Her mother's name was Melissa Taylor. Grace's parents had never met her, but Melissa hadn't wanted to meet them. There was no picture of Melissa or fingerprints or note of memento, just a signed court document. The name was common enough that Grace suspected she could Google it for hours and not find anything, but it seemed like Melissa had never wanted to be found. We did send a letter to her through the lawyer, Grace's mother said, passing her a thin envelope, right after you were born, us telling her how grateful we were, but it was returned. She didn't need to add that last part. Grace could see the red return to center stamp slashing across the white paper. And right when she started to feel a new, different, though no worse despair, that there wasn't a woman who had wanted her, who had craved her the way Grace craved Peach, who had writhed and ached and wanted to know anything about her, Grace's parents said something that immediately closed the black hole that was threatening to swallow her up. Grace, her father said gently, like his voice hit, could hit a tripwire and destroy them all. You have siblings. After Grace was done throwing up in the downstairs guest bathroom, she got herself a glass of water and came back to the table. The look of anxiety on her mother's face made her twitch. They laid out the story in careful and obviously rehearsed detail. Joaquin was her brother. He had been one year old when Grace was born and had gone into foster care a few days after her parents brought her home. They asked us if we wanted to foster, Grace's mother explained, and even now, 16 years later, Grace could see the lines of regret, regret that Joaquin had etched on her face. But you were a newborn, and we, we weren't prepared for that for two babies. And your grandmother had just been diagnosed. Grace knew that part of the story. Her grandmother, Gloria Grace, the woman who Grace shared her name with, had been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer a month before Grace had been born, and she died right after Grace's first birthday. The best year and the worst year, Grace's mother described it when she talked about it at all. Grace knew not to ask too many questions. Joaquin, Grace said now, rolling the word over in her mouth. She realized that she had never known a Joaquin before, that she had never said the name before. We were told that he was placed with a foster family that was on track to adopt him, her father told her. But that's all we know about him. We tried to keep track of him, but it's a complicated system. Grace nodded, taking it all in. If her life had been a movie, this is where the reflective orchestral music would swell. You said siblings, plural? Her mother nodded. Right after Gloria Grace died, we got a phone call from the same lawyer who helped us get you. There was another baby, a girl, but we couldn't. She looked to father, Grace's father again, someone to help her bridge the gap between words. We couldn't, Grace, her mother said. She was adopted by a family about 20 minutes away. We have their information. We agreed that whenever one of you wanted to contact the other, we would let them know. They slid an email address across the table to her. Her name is Maya, her father said. She's 15. We talked to her parents last night, and they talked to her. If you'd like to email her, she's waiting to hear from you. And you can read all about Grace, Maya, and Joaquin and how they meet in Far From the Tree by Robin Benway. Thanks for joining me for First Chapter Friday, and I'll see you next time.